Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. We're joined today by director Edward Berger. His latest project is called All Quiet on the Western Front. It tells the gripping story of a young German soldier on the Western Front of World War I. Paul and his comrades experience firsthand how the initial euphoria of war turns into desperation and fear as they fight for their lives and each other in this brutal and ugly and dehumanizing historic event is brought to life in this film, All Quiet on the Western Front. We're joined today by director, as well as screenwriter, Edward Berger. Edward, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you very much. Very nice to be here. Thank you for being here. Thank you for this film. And I want to provide a little bit of historic context for World War One because I do feel like it's in some ways, the forgotten war. We we folk, tend to focus on World War II and more immediacy, and it's more immediate impact on our lives. But I have been of the theory for a long time that in many ways, we are still fighting World War I based on the collapse of empires in the Middle East and so many other events that still resonate to this day. So what inspired you to want to revisit this particular historic event? So, I mean, you just said a thing about, you know, how World War I still resonates today. And that is, I think, probably the biggest inspiration or the biggest reason why we felt it was the right time to make this film. Just because I've grown up in Germany with a sense of, you know, responsibility towards history. I feel history inside me every day. I feel the shame of it, the guilt of it, that you know, the country I grew up in has brought into the world. It felt like, you know, the right thing for, for me, at least for me to make a film where I get the opportunity to, to express that and ideally share that with viewers from other countries, you know, how war sort of, you know, brings scars everywhere. All, all that does leave scars, you know, and it felt like if we make that film, it's going to feel different than an American or British film which, you know, countries that usually make those type of movies because of budget and other reasons, but also because for historical reasons, they're able to talk about this part of history because they defended themselves or liberated Europe from fascism. So it was an honorable, the right thing to do, something that leaves the country and the people that live in it with a sense of pride, too. And so if you're a filmmaker growing up in England or America, you're going to make a very different film than a filmmaker growing up in Germany. And that was sort of the reason why we made it. And that's the, you know, that's the resonance of history in a way. Yeah. And I want to spend just a minute or two more talking about that, that history. I've mentioned the collapse of the empires, the Ottoman Empire and in world and also the Austrian Hungarian Empire. And the ramifications of that to this day, look at the Middle East, the British, when they took over the Middle East, it, all of those things are a direct result of what we saw from World War One. But I also, and also what led to World War II, the, the sense of aggrievement that uh, the Germans felt after the, the treaty was signed, and it led to a lot of political unrest. So all of these things feed into themselves. But I want to try to put some kind of a scale on this, because I, I really don't think people know that in World War I, there were over 40 million casualties 
over 22 million people died, and mostly in Central Europe. Most of the, the action took place. But I didn't know until recently that hundreds of thousands of Africans died in World War I as well. So mm -hmm. it again, sort of building on what you were talking about. And I want your, one last thing about that, and that is my perception is this was the first industrial war, the first time nations went to war with in the industrial age. Is that a fair way to put it? Absolutely. And we tried to put that in the film. There's a scene, for example, where tanks are coming. I mean, it was a strange mixture because it's still battle one-on-one, -on -one, right? Second World War was a lot of bombs as well from airplanes and so forth about the Blitz in England and you know, London was destroyed in Germany. Dresden was, as you know, there was a retaliation there. And so many cities were destroyed by firebombs, basically. And in World War One, it was really still trench warfare, people one-on-one -on -one fighting against each other, but also, you know, it was the first time that shelling happened by uh, artillery miles behind the front lines and also uh, tanks. We have a scene where we put tanks in the movie and really for our kids that don't know much about war that go there enthusiastically and when they first time see a tank, it's almost like they see an alien, you know, or a spaceship or something like that. It's it's really, and 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 by the way, that industrialization of the war, we try to make a theme out of it, out of the machines that sort of stomp through this war and that turn the, the you said dehumanization in the beginning of our talk here, and that turn the people into, you know, dehumanized killing machines also. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a big part of the movie and the theme of the film. Well, I want to get to the, the heart and soul of the film are the characters, the, the development of their characters from four young men who are enthusiastic about going off to war. By the way, I should mention, I should have already mentioned, All Quiet on the Western Front came about as a as a book written by a German soldier. So let's talk a little bit about the origin story, but also I want to get to the part where basically you do such a credible job of humanizing the brutality and the the sheer madness of war. So, I mean, the origin story is, I mean, the book was written by uh, Erich Maria Remarque uh, in the 1920s, end of the 20s, it was published. And it was based on his experiences in the war, but also he wasn't very long in the war, so he was in a, in a, in a, in a hospital as well. Uh, he got wounded fairly quickly. And so a lot, uh, he did a lot of interviews too. And it was sort of an amalgamation of his experiences as well as a journalistic interview. And that was also gave the, gave the book a sense of analytical coldness almost, which is part of the, the successful tone of it too, because it doesn't, you know, it just observes uh, yeah. and describes like a journalist almost reporting on what happened. And so that makes it all the more shocking because it doesn't try to, manipulate us too much and we also tried to put that in the film for example with the music or the camera we always tried to stay a little bit just touch back to give us the feeling we're observing this yeah. it was a fine line to take because we wanted to really put the audience in paul boimer's shoes and experience and feel what he feels at any given moment the fear the bloodthirstiness the revenge the uh, I don't know, the 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 love, the yearning for home and uh, for warmth and all these things. So we wanted you to feel that. But at the same time, we didn't want to 
give you the feeling that we're manipulating, that we're pushing you in that direction. So I always feel like we took the camera just a touch back than maybe usual so that it, it just gives you the space to decide for yourself and you know take on this emotion for yourself without feeling like I'm pushing you there. Right. And that I think that very much comes, that decision also, maybe subconsciously, but also very much comes from the style of the book because that's exactly what the book does. Yeah, it is beautifully done. And there are moments, you're, you're right, the sort of the initial shock of battle, going into battle, seeing just not only the chaos, but the haphazardness of it. Well, that's, I guess, another way of saying chaos. But it's just the realization as you see these kids becoming soldiers and mm -hmm. you see their superiors who really don't give a F about who they are, why they're there. I mean, they're just there to be perfectly honest you mentioned trench warfare this was really just kind of a military meat grinder these two these two different sides were within a few hundred yards of one another and they were literally running at each other on a very very regular basis into machine gun fire so you capture all of this from a technical perspective i totally agree with what you said the way you're able to put us there to witness as much as be a part of what's what's happening that am I being fair with that? That's for you to decide. So we try to achieve that by, uh, he, you know, putting the camera right into the middle. Yeah. Giving us the, you know, I wanted, I, I'm very much drawn to movies that give us a subjective experience, especially by a singular character, not too many characters, but really it gives us the choice. You know, this movie, basically, you're going to have to go with Paul Boimer or you're going to have to switch off. There's not like seven other characters and you think, oh, I don't love the story as much. I can latch on to this person or that person. You're going to have to, you know, follow this boy. And if you don't like it, that's then you, you, you're going out you know? and then you're, then you're dropping off the movie. I really like making those radical decisions where the audience is given no choice, but to go in this direction. Uh, and, and so uh, whatever we can technically be it music, be it lighting, costume, makeup, SFX, like smoke, explosions close by, it's supposed to make us, you know, throw us right into the middle of yeah. this. One of my listeners, we're speaking with Edward Berger. He is the director of a incredible film called All Quiet on the Western Front. It's coming out on Netflix on October 28th. It is in theaters, so be looking for it. Select theaters around the country. But um, this is a production through Netflix. And I want to talk a little bit about sort of the, the collaborative effort on, on uh, with you and Netflix on this. But also want to focus on the a story which I was not at all familiar with, and that is of Matthias Erzberger and his role. And mm -hmm. I thought that was a great way to, over the course of the film to kind of take us out of that, of the action of the war, and then put this context for it in it and his place in german history and world history i'd like to talk a little bit about him who's completely unknown to me until this film so oh that's great but he's a very you know to me i grew up with this character sort of it's a it's an important uh, part of german history because that was the and we put it into it's not in the book by the way this this uh, matthias erzberger is basically the uh, negotiator for the armistice uh, sent there by the Germans and especially sent there by the army because the army, the military 
they knew they were losing this war, but they chickened out and sent someone, a politician, a patsy, basically, that they they said, you know, they said, oh, the politics, they have to do this. You know, it's a, it's a negotiation. Also, you know, it's not going to look good. They're, they're going to be strict with the army. They don't want to talk to generals. So why don't you, like, diplomats go there? And so they sent Matthias Erzberger, and he signed this armistice. And immediately the military turned around and blamed him for losing the war, blamed the politics for losing the war. They said, like, a week later, they started saying, we would have won, and they signed the peace away, and which wasn't true at all. They were at, on the, they were basically beaten, you know, they were, and they wanted to save face and didn't want to admit it. So they blamed this politician, and he was actually assassinated four years later by nationalists, and the entire family was eradicated. We included this in the film, this part of this armistice negotiations, despite it not being in the book, because it felt like it's our perspective now, 90 years after the book appeared, we know what came afterwards. We know that bigger horrors came uh, out of this First World War and that nationalists used exactly this incident uh, of signing the armistice by a politician to then legitimize the Second World War and, and start you know, bring havoc, wreak havoc over the world another time. And so we just wanted to shed a light on that and sort of say this was just the beginning, you know, and it was even worse. And that's why we included that part of the story in the film. Yeah, there was a, a corporal in the German army who rose to prominence sometime after all of this happened. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah it was, uh, um, uh, like you say, Hitler served in the First World War. I think he was injured too. And then you know, I think he was part of that. He made use of that legend. They created this. We call it the backstabbing legend. You know, they created that to save face. One other thing about war in general, and specifically World War One. I, I have a theory about war, the declaration of war. And it seems to bear out. Certainly it has borne out over many, many wars that I know of. The big lie. World War One was the incident that we've been told was the 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 root cause of world war one really wasn't the cause of world war one i don't want to get too far into the sort of the, the minutiae of history here and but what i'm trying to get to is that most wars that the united states has been involved with were initially told to us as something that turned out to not be true and i can go back to the war in vietnam with the gulf of tonkin we can go back to the Spanish-American War. We can go to the, the war in Iraq. We can go to a lot of different things. And in some perverse way, that's actually kind of encouraging for me mm. in the sense that people don't want to go to war. They have to be lied to to do to get involved in these enterprises. And I, I don't I don't know if there's a kernel of optimism in that or not. Is there? It's, it kind of is. It's a it's a good way of looking at it to find a. We need to find kernels of of optimism anywhere. Yeah, we need to latch onto those in order to to be able to proceed. But you mean the 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 assassination of the Archduke of Austria? That as the yeah. lie? Yeah. Well, it's yeah. not a lie. He was assassinated. He but, was assassinated, but using that to start yes. a war. It's yeah. definitely used. What's interesting to me in the end, it's ultimately always personal. And always, it seems to be born out of humiliation uh, when countries start wars, especially yeah. the First World War. So the First World War very much started. I mean, we had uh, Queen Victoria or King George in England 
uh, we had the uh, you know King George's cousin was Kaiser Wilhelm the German. Yeah. Their cousin was Tsar Nicola. Yeah, in in so they were all cousins. So the three families that went to each other's weddings, funerals, saw each other for family dinners. Three power, and they basically ruled over half the world. Yeah, I know that Kaiser Wilhelm just felt like he was he wasn't really taken seriously he, by by Nicholas and King George. You know, he was the German, the, and so he started to you know, up the arms race and started to sort of, you know, spread his feathers and like yeah. a peacock and wanted to become more important because he was the least important of those three. And he actually wanted to become the most powerful person in the world. And by doing that, brought on his own demise. And it's not that far-fetched to look at the personality. As we can see those today as well, you know, like people being sort of humiliated or feeling humiliated and trying to like a peacock run around and say hey i'm a big guy and uh, um and i'm i'm to be taken seriously here right. so it's it usually comes from single people yes and one last thing the republic of germany was a relatively new development in europe it was only about about 40 or 50 years of the republic of germany as we know it today so all of those things would have played into it i, I think the sort of the sense of being slighted in some way yeah. There's so much. There's so much. Uh, but uh, take that little that little nugget of perverse optimism forward. Yeah, I think I it's true. I think yeah. people don't want to go to war. Yeah. And they have to be lied to to do it. Yeah. Um, I, one last thing, just a minute. I, I want to talk about the production of it because you mentioned the, the, the all the different elements that went into it. But the sound in this film, in film is just remarkable. I love the sound, the sound design in the film. The cinematography is outstanding, but. Go if any any of that you want to talk about because well let's talk about the sound design because it's a it's a thing that cinematography is always more obvious you know people notice it and it yeah. looks good and then it always gets all the accolades but in this case sound design was so important I had this great team who created first of all found incredible sounds for the machinery of war yeah. and that's it, like you noticed that you, you, you uh, very early in our conversation you know it's the industrialization of war so then they really turned that into sound you know be it the machine gun fire sounding like uh, sewing machines or yeah. something and uh and also the interconnection between sound and and also the contrast between loudness and silence they played with that a lot uh to really emphasize the chaos then on the battlefield you know we can't do battles for two hours you know you got to get out of it we, because we're going to close our ears and we're going to be numb to it so to, to, in order to heighten the impact we really went to you know nature and went to the silence to contrast that and you mentioned it also in the in the story, you know, to uh, contrast, you know, the generals with the people in the trenches, take us out of the mess and look behind the scenes and give us a moment of silence, and then also see the perversion in how those two two storylines contrast each other. But then also the sound design really worked well together in sort of in terms of cross departments and, and with the music. The music very much became of that industrialization of war and created a sound that is almost sound design, but it's also musical sound design that that sort of puts us inside of the grind of Paul's stomach, you know, and what he feels. And, and that was the main goal with the musicals, to create a soundscape that we don't haven't heard before that is yeah. in contrast to the images. It's a beautiful film. It's a beautiful production of the film. And it's also a history lesson for some of those amongst us 
who either don't know anything about World War I beyond what we've heard it said in a history lesson to really humanize it and to give it a context that I think is going to be beneficial to all who take the time to watch All Quiet on the Western Front. Edward Berger, thank you. Thank you for your work. Thank you so much for spending some time with us here on Film School Radio. Thank you so much, Mike. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Thank you.